Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a It's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Conversations on Dance is generously made possible by Yumiko. Yumiko creates handmade dancewear for dancers by dancers and for years has been a favorite of students and professionals alike. Recently, we had the opportunity to chat with the founder of this legendary brand, Yumiko Takashima, and hear more about her career as a professional dancer, how she created her first leotard, and how she built the company into the brand we love today. Tune in now to hear her speak with us in episode 153 and visit yumiko.com to browse their incredible catalog of customizable dancewear and ready-to-wear styles. Ballet Hispanico, America's leading Latino dance organization, returns to the Apollo Theater on November 22nd and 23rd to celebrate the power of the Latina voice with works by all female choreographers. This season includes the world premiere of Annabel Lopez Ochoa's Triburones, as well as the return of Nasi by Andrea Miller and Michelle Manzanales's Con Brazos Abiertos. Tickets begin at 1350 and are available by phone at 800-745-3000 or online at www.apollotheater.org. I'm Rebecca King-Ferraro. And I'm Michael Breeden, and you're listening to Conversations on Dance. Today on Conversations on Dance, we are joined by Artistic Director of Ballet Hispanico, Eduardo Villaro. Eduardo recounts his early years adjusting to New York City life as a Cuban immigrant, what it was like building his first company from the ground up, and how Ballet Hispanico has carved out an identity for itself that is unique in the dance world. Eduardo, thank you so, so much for taking the time to sit down with us. We're really excited to speak with you about your career and also the upcoming Ballet Hispanico performances at the Apollo. So thank you for your time. It's my pleasure. Thank you for asking me. So, Eduardo, you were born in Cuba, and at just five years old, you came to the United States with your parents to seek political asylum. Uh, What do you remember about this time, and what was it like to defect during the second wave of refugee migration from Cuba? Yeah, I I don't I remember getting on the plane. I remember uh, it was raining 
that day. I remember looking out the window and kind of understanding that I might never be back home because that's what I was hearing from the adults. I remember the energy of my parents' um, sorrow. Uh, mm-hmm. um, uh, so that leaving there, certainly. Um, and then I do, re- you know, there was a lot of interesting, of course, for a young child to be put in a new space. You know, here you were in, we, we didn't go to Florida. We were in Florida for like a couple of days before mm-hmm. we were in New York. So, you know, my ex- big exploration was New York, New York right. City. So, you know, the thrill of your first snow fall mm-hmm. for <laughs> someone who for five years only knew um, tropical weather. Right. That was a lot of fun. Um, uh, you know, and just it was a it was a it was a, a moment of such discovery, but also of a lot of challenges. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A lot of those challenges were about language. Right. right. I was just going to ask that. What was that like? I mean, for you as a young child, of course, you adapt so quickly um, to new languages. But what was that like for your family and your parents also having to, you know, coming here, no, not speaking any English and having to make a go of it and raise a family? I think it's remarkable, um, you know, and I do know that younger children uh, learn language easier. We all know that. I think it's <laughs> it, there should be a study about the way the immigrant mind kind of switches on to that or connects to that ability in in a certain way. It might be wired differently, but there are a lot of people that come and somehow or other learn the language, whether it's, you know, sounds like pig Latin to some people, (laughs) or they are able to communicate. Um, And I I think that's a, a, a very immigrant kind of uh, learned trait, mm-hmm. but they learned the best they could. Uh, my father went back to school because he was an engineer and he needed to transfer um, his enge- engineering degree to an American degree. So he was lucky, luckier certain than my my mother. My mother was, uh, it was all about the work, right? So she, mm-hmm. she, she actually learned English in that hardcore, learn it now, you know, do or die. Right. For me, it was, you know, and it's not all the same because my if you hear my my two, I'm the middle child. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And uh, if you hear all of us speak, we have very different accents and we we have a different command of the language, which is. Yeah, it's not uh, quantitative at all. It's just interesting the way the mind works. I think I think it's more about that. Um, So so for me, it was. Um, I remember, you know, getting hit with the ruler at the nun. We went to a parochial school. Oh, wow. The nun not knowing certain things. Hmm. You know, I, I, the pressure, I mean, in my mind switched to, you better learn this now or you won't, you won't survive. Right. Um, so I had from the beginning this, I didn't want to get hit again. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I had the, the, these external factors that really drove me. Um, one, to learn English, two, to get rid of my accent, mm. um, and, and then three, later on, to come back to Spanish and, and have a, uh, also no accent in Spanish. It's a very interesting thing when people hear me speak Spanish. They're like, where are you from? Right. <laughs> 
Well, because Cubans have a very specific accent, too, we know, because we were right. in Miami oh, for so I, many years. <laughs> no, you know. <laughs> yeah, they have, and I can and I can fall into it. I'm actually, so for, for me, I, I became a um, very much a, um, uh, a parrot, a mimic in right. with with accents. So I uh, that clicked on in my brain um, and my capacity to pick up things. So I started picking up languages. So you know, and accents in languages. So if I can, I say a few words in French, and everybody's like, "Wow!" Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> you know, so 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 that was, and and you know that in high school I took Latin also because I knew that would help me. So languages were were an interesting part of my life while I was in school. So you spoke about New York being a place of discovery for you. Uh-huh. Um, what point did arts and dance become a part of that discovery? So I was um, in a parochial school, like I said, eighth grade, a new teacher came into, we had only one eighth grade class, we were it. Mm-hmm. And we had a new teacher who happened to have been an actor and a director. And it, for the first time ever, as a final end of year celebration, we did a musical. Oh. And it was you're yeah in a in a in a in a catholic school it was great little did i know that there were tons of catholic schools doing musicals everywhere and we did your good man charlie brown and i got the role of linus mm-hmm. and linus dances with his top, his blanket um and that was it i you know i was uh, two things i remember i had to do choreograph the work the the, the solo Mm-hmm. I decided to, um, there were stairs that led from the stage to the audience. I decided my dance would go down those stairs, dance amongst the audience and come back up. Um, and the thrill, I, I was I was hooked. The bug hit me. I wanted to dance. I wanted to sing. I wanted to be on stage. Right. So without really any formal dance training, your first kind of foray into this was actually kind of choreography is that right oh, no yes yes it set me up for later on that's my choreography so yeah right wow that's so interesting so, so really, from there it, yeah it, it was my billy elliott story because uh. <laughs> you're a cuban coming to the new country you need to grow up to be a a, a corporate professional a doctor a lawyer you know the whole the whole work you guys know this mm-hmm. um so i i started um trying to find out where I can take class. What, how do I become this thing? I went into, I got into a, um, a, a Catholic prep school on scholarship. And so it was then that I started, you know, really branching out into the New York City. So I started taking martial arts class, uh, Capoeira, which has a dance form. And next door there was a ballet class. Mm-hmm. So I started sneaking into the ballet class and that was, you know, that was on 53rd Street, mm-hmm. um, uh, right by, you know, downtown. It was, you know, Asher and Simpson had their studios up on top, you know, 70 <laughs> um, something. Oh, my God. I can't wait. I can't believe it feels so close. And yet so-, <laughs> so I started taking class and I just got better. And, you know, through both of those classes, I was introduced to other people. And then, you know how it gets. So where do I right. go here? Where do I go there? Where do I go here? Then all of a sudden, you know, I'm, I'm in um, uh, junior year of high school and I'm auditioning for Ailey for their summer program. And I get into Ailey 
And, you know, and I'm still hiding all of this from my family. I'm dancing summer program here and there, doing these little gigs. Um, You know, when you're a male, you, you, oh, you're tall, you can lift, you're good, you're in. So I, I I, you know, it was like a quick learning of what do you need to do? And then, um, you know, I went to the Martha Graham School uh, during my senior year and I was about to graduate. I came to Ballet Hispanico. Uh, I had never heard of Ballet Hispanico, only the big names, ABT, New York City, Ailey, you right. know, all the big names. And then I discovered Ballet Hispanico, came, took a class, and Tina comes after me right after. She's like, young man, I have a job for you. And I was like, uh, okay, I can't. <laughs> oh, <Cool. wow. laughs> and she called my director, Norman Walker, and said, I, I want to give this young man a, a job right now. They settled on something, and which led me for a year and uh, almost two years of night school. Mm-hmm. So that was it. Do you need more info on, on the New York City? Uh, did I answer your question? I'm so oh, sorry. Oh, that was great. No, that was I, great. I can't, it, it seems, I mean, I can't imagine how you were balancing all those things uh, at once, you know, trying to, to manage your education while dancing that's something that i feel like has only become uh more commonplace and i'd say even the past 10 years you know we think about even when rebecca and i were coming in Mm -hmm. to company life it was sort of frowned upon to finish your education or you know there was an idea that maybe you weren't as dedicated but you were doing it anyway you were doing all of it you were doing all the things (laughs) yeah what i think that has to do with the immigrant syndrome Uh um that you, you, you're just doing because you want to do and you have to do. Mm-hmm. I never mm-hmm. once did I question why, you know, I'm not going to stay here and question. This is what I want to do. Mm-hmm. So, so it's like you have to do it. So if you want to do it, you have to do it. I got myself into school. My parents could not afford the school I went to for high school. Mm-hmm. I got to Adelphi University with a scholarship. Parents could, And that was when, when I had to come out. For, as a dancer first, <laughs> um, <laughs> dancer to my family and say, I'm going to, to college. I'm the first one to go to college in my family. Wow. And I'm for dance. And that was ruinous for my father's relationship with me, but great for my mother and I. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, you, it just, it was kind of like do or die, right? And, you know, I grew up in the Bronx, so I... I needed to find an, an outlet also. I mean, I grew up in the, you guys are much younger than I am. I grew up in the 70s in the Bronx. New York was burning, literally and figuratively. Mm-hmm. We were coming into a world where manufacturing jobs had left the city. So every, there was an outpour into the suburbs and there were blocks and blocks of just um, hell. There were you know empty buildings, crack was the crack epidemic. And so for me, it was an, another way of, of finding that American dream, like really just um, pressed upon us. Uh, and, and I say to people, you know, for me, dance saved my life because I know what happened to my friends that in the hood that I lived with. I know who survived and who didn't. Um, so it was a I'm just saying this because I think it was also a survival tactic. Yeah. I don't want to get into anything like t- maybe that's like too personal, but I find this really interesting that maybe your parents weren't really keen on you dancing. Cause of course in Cuba, 
um, dance there's has such a rich history in dance. Is there a specific reason why they really didn't want that for you? Do they really want you to go in a more professional route with your future career? Oh, this is a a complex question. <laughs> only because I got to give you context. So, okay, the, the the Cuba really didn't start on the ballet trend until after my generation. Ah. So, one of the things that Alicia Alonso did was was put place uh, dance as a tool of um, uh, of the the new government mm-hmm. of of socialism, of communism. She placed it. She she turned she went to Fidel Castro and said, "This is a way of bringing the people together together and giving them um your values as well as the values of dance." Right. Right. She she was brilliant in that. Hmm. So so ballet became weaponized politically. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's weaponized politically period in many different ways. But for Cubans, and that didn't happen until after 1959. Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting. Yeah. What we had in Cuba before was, you know, it was a very imperialistic society. It was a very, uh, 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 the fine arts were only for the very wealthy. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. There weren't, there weren't the, the schools of the Cuban ballet that are now. Um, so it was very rare to get into something. Folks sent their children away. And but there was a love of folklore. So, you know, the Latin style dances, mambo, salsa, all that, that African um, based work was folkloric. So it was part of the that was you could dance that, but you didn't think it was a career, Uh, you know, and people were looked down upon those people who were the Tropicana ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) Right. Right. So it wasn't like like it is now. It's like, you know. It's like a dignitary when you're a ballet dancer from the Cuban National Ballet. Mm-hmm. Right. Very different world. That's Does so that make sense? Yeah, totally. That's interesting. That, I didn't know that. The, the context. Yeah, no, you know, uh, Cubans might say, and <laughs> here's where I'm from my Cuban brothers and sisters, they might say, oh, oh we always had this passion for it. No, no, let's get real. Um, so, so, yeah. And so, so then they had this. They, they just didn't understand the, ba- the the ballet world or the dance world. Right. That's interesting. I hope that answers your question. Mm-hmm. No, that's great. Uh, so what then was your time uh, as a professional dancer initially like? What were what were you finding your, um, you know, your, your sort of dream was coming true, but what was the reality like for you? Oh, my gosh. You know, there are, oh, that's such a great question. I haven't been asked that. Um, I think that it was another time we were coming out of, uh, the NEA being very generous about touring. So when I toured, we toured a lot with Valley Hispanical. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it was a, a different time that you can, um, you can really live in New York. It was more affordable. So you can eke out a living, uh, as far as rent. And then, you know, um, find, you can still do that, but it seemed like there were more mom and pop shops and there were more things that were a little bit more affordable that you can manage to feel like you were living well as an artist. I felt right. anyway. Right, yeah. Right? 
I mean, right now it's like in New York, it's like living in a big mall almost. Everything <laughs> high end, right? A high end mall. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so it was, you know, so, so I didn't feel like I had the stress that I see my dancers have and some other artists have today. Right. Interesting. It's a different stress. Still similar, but really different. I mean, because the onset of technology also um, says you are entitled to all of this, mm-hmm. which, <laughs> which mm-hmm. begets a lot of different things, right? We were like, I don't know what I'm entitled yeah. to. <laughs> I just want to dance. Right. How many weeks of work did the right. company have back then? Was it So it wasn't a full-time job. You were still definitely oh, making ends meet yeah. elsewhere. My God. So here's the fun thing. I mean, I still had that, like the, uh, the residue of like my older generation before us, you know, uh, who were doing, uh, nightclub stints and doing that. There was still a little bit of that. Mm -hmm. So I did all kinds of things. I worked for an entertainment company that did bar mitzvahs and weddings and corporate parties where we learned Mm -hmm. all kinds of musical numbers, danced on tables, got my ass kicked a lot. Um, <laughs> you know, at that time, there was no uh, uh, Me Too movement for anybody. Um, so so, so that, that was a problem as well. But anyway, um, you know, so, so I was living in this really interesting world of being able to participate in many different, and I think it still happens, less uh, it's more formal now let me put it that way mm-hmm. right you're you're really focusing on where who you want to work with and where you want to work right um well for me it was catch as you can um so i did that i did some musicals i did i i worked with the the graham second company for a while because they needed some men mm-hmm. uh, you know so they, they needed so you know of course i was joined, I, I sorry, was introduced to the world of nutcrackers. <laughs> that sounds appropriate. Full of work. I either, you know, doing all kinds of different roles. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got my, just so be clear, it was during the time, I think my real formal ballet training, classical ballet training, were with the teachers from Ballet Russe de Monte Carlo that were at, um, at Adelphi University. That's when I really uh-huh. thought. And then after I left, you know, I did David Howard. I did all the teachers that were around at that time. Mm-hmm. Sure, um, sure. So, so that I, that's why I was able to get into Cali Hispanico because you needed that, that training. You couldn't just be a Latin dancer. Right. Uh, so that's why I was able to be very eclectic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Did so, I answer your question? That's great. Yeah. <laughs> When you were working at Valley Hispanico, you were already starting to explore uh, other avenues um, in, that dance involves, like teaching at the company's school and assisting Tina Ramirez in the creation of dance education residencies. Um, was this, again, like kind of like you've been saying since the beginning of the interview, like sort of immigrant syndrome, you called it, where you just like, I have to do everything. I got to stay on top of everything. Was that always... You know, and and then you continue to pursue a master's. Um, yeah. You know, it's like were you always just hungry for more information and um, more more skill sets? Yes, always hungry for more information, always. But there was a let me. There's a there was another. You know, like I say, the the immigrant mind switch to learning language. There was a dance switch. Once mm-hmm. I really started living 
dance. Dance takes hold of you. Mm -hmm. And um, you are naturally an educator because people are interested in stepping into your world. And so, I mean, well, this is what I found. I found that I wanted to share um, my world as an artist and also culturally because I was with Ballet Hispanico. So for, for, for us here at Ballet Hispanico, the two go hand in hand. So right. when we class, we're teaching about the love of the art, um, the, 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 the spaces it can create for you, but then it also creates a dialogue for culture. And so that, I was very interested in that. Hmm. And I think people forget that all art develops dialogues for right. um, not only just the word culture, just society, period. And so I was very moved by being a teacher. Hmm. Um, hmm. Uh, so I went into it and then Tina saw that. And this is how Tina worked. She was like, you know, I have this um, this great uh, program that that I want to do, and it's taking kids and at that time again in temporary shelters um, and giving them lessons during the holidays. And I said, oh, that's great, I'd love to teach. She's like, no, you're going to run it. <laughs> okay, <laughs> kickball change, pot of rape, we're done. <laughs> right? How cute! That's so nice. Is that something that? you continue now with Ballet Hispanico that does that like continue to be a priority for you not to jump too far ahead of things but absolutely yeah it is my it is the mantra that um I think has helped me take the company in in into a, a bigger arena mm -hmm. and has helped me change that idea of what are we saying to the world who are we teaching how are we inspiring and how are we giving access to young people that might not have the ability like I did? I fell into the ability to have dance, to have arts. I, I'm lucky. Right. So after um, you left uh, Ballet Hispanico, after more than a decade with the company, you went to Chicago and pursued yeah. your master's degree. And right after that, you founded your own dance company. So can you tell us a little bit about that? And was that all creating your own company always kind of in the cards for you? That Was that always your plan? I, I don't think it was my plan. You know, my thing was that I had been here a decade and you know, like everyone, you have your mentors and you love them, but you also think about, well, I don't, I don't know if this is the right message or this is not the message I would, I would send. Right. Um, so I was done. I was kind of, you know, Ballet Hispanico at that time was fun. We were in another world, the world that was asking us to be um, iconographic, right? Mm -hmm. And to kind of play with the stereotypes still. It was a world where our art, our Latino, Latina art was looked upon as what we left behind, not who we were here. Mm -hmm. So I was I was growing into my own identity, into my own self by the time I was ready to go. And I was like, mm, I need to I need to go back into into uh, studying. I, I need to go back to school because school is a place of retrospection as well and mm -hmm. introspection. So I said, I'm going to go back to school and then I'll figure it out. And so I was in Chicago and I, I wanted to go away from, um, even though I had toured with the company and seen other places, I didn't, I wanted to live in another city in America to get that sense. So I chose Chicago. Mm -hmm. 
You had only and ever lived in New York, right? At that point. Only ever lived in New York. Only. So I'm a New Yorker through and through. So I, uh, um, I went to school in two years. They hired me. <laughs> the dance center there hired me oh. while I was in school. You know, and I actually started running there. I was the head of their their uh, ballet program because they really needed it. Um, That's so, amazing. <laughs> so I did that for two, three years. And then I said, you know, this town, things come, come into place. They had a beautiful Latino uh, theater company that burned. They had their own home. It burned down to the ground oh. and it didn't resuscitate. You know, and I was like, there's no, there's such a big Latino community. They're not being served. Let's, I should do something. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, and I was doing my own choreography by then um, and, and putting it up in certain festivals. And so I said, you know what? I think we need a company. And I started the company from Zilch. Wow. What was your process there? What was like step one of 500 building a company? What was step one? <laughs> Step one, research, right? Get in front of people, research. What do I need? Okay, 501c3 status, who do I need? I need a partner in crime. I had a few people who were interested from the Latino community. Let's get together and keep talking. So um, organize, orchestrate, um, and cultivate. Mm -hmm. I started from nothing and got in front of, there were a few things that happened. Uh, the Dance Center, Columbia College, Bonnie Brooks, um, came in. She, Bonnie Brooks is a very well-known um, dance advocate in the dance world, uh, much more in the contemporary world. So you may not know her in the classical world, mm -hmm. but she came on as chair there. She heard that I was in town. She knew who I was. She and she was like, "What are you doing here? Let's go." She and so we became her and some other people became a force that started bringing on more funding for the dance. Uh, community there. So there was like this renaissance happening of dance in Chicago and I was part of the mix and so was my company. Right. So great. Yeah, it was great. And so my chops immediately, it was, you know, learn on the job. This is a funder meeting. This is what you say and you don't say. This is, you know, you're listening, picking in. You get, you, you know, someone asks you to be on the Council of Business and Arts. You just say yes. Right. <laughs> you learn it and you hear and, you know, you have your education to fall back on. So you have, you know, I'm thrilled that I went to a prep school. I, it teaches you corporate manners, mm -hmm. which is helpful, right? It's helpful. Yes, certainly. Um. Go ahead. So you spent then 10 years um, in Thank Chicago you. doing this before you would return to Ballet Hispanico to become its second artistic director. As dancers ourselves who have been through the process of a company changing over artistic directors, we know how beneficial it can be when you're looking at candidates to see uh, someone who's already run a company for 10 years and built one from the ground up. So how did this opportunity come about for you to return to Ballet Hispanico and how much of your experience um, in Chicago do you feel like really contributed to you being able to um, lead the organization? All right. Um, context. So 10 years, everything was going really well. We were touring. We were even touring internationally wow. for a 10-year-old wow. company out of the blue. I mean, I'm sorry that the company's not around anymore, but mm -hmm. uh, it was mm -hmm. really, really doing wonderful work. 
Um, so again, the stars align. I had met my partner who is from Kentucky. Uh, like, me. <laughs> like you, not too far from Lex. He's from Somerset. Oh, wow. Uh, and we, when we met, we told each other and we were on it and, you know, we weren't spring chickens anymore. We both turned to each other at one point and said, we want to have children. And we set our stars on that. And by that time, when it, when I, when Bally Spanicle reached out, we had a, uh, under one year old baby boy mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. who, you know, so, um, so there were things happening to me, you know, my family here was kind of calling to me. I, as in my family members, it takes a village to raise a child. Right. Um, so I guess there were, so I just give you context. So for my, for what I'm going to say next. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so Bally Spanicle called me and they were like, so the, the headhunter, so, you know, you've done such a great job of, 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 you know, building a company. So we're wondering if you are know anyone who might be interested in taking over for Tina. I'm like, take me. They must right? have thought you wouldn't want to leave your baby, I'm sure. Yeah, you know, tactics. <laughs> uh, they did. They were very honorable about that. And we had a long conversation and I said, so ultimately, are you asking me if I would be interested in? And they said, yes. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I said, okay, let me get back to you. And then I sat down with my husband and said, let's talk about this. Mm-hmm. Um, by this time, it was hard to leave Valley Hispan- um, sorry, Luna. But the thing about Luna Negra was that, and what you learn, and I think what helps me here at Valley Hispanico, is that once a board comes into play, once a city and funding is tied to uh, a structure that is both political and social, you need to step away and understand that it's not yours anymore. Right. I, first five years, it was mine, truly mine. But I was not making certain decisions anymore. Artistically, yes. So an artist, you know, it's one of those things that you need to understand and people will fight me on this. But I think it was it's really good for me here because I know my place at Valley Hispanico very well. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Um, so what were some ahead. of the initial challenges of taking over the helm of Valley Hispanico? Uh, did you have certain goals and changes that you were trying to implement right away? Uh, yeah. Um, you know, my whole thing was to bring Valley Hispanico to the new world. <laughs> to the new generation, I, you know, Valley Hispanico was not speaking the language that we now speak. And I needed to do it first with the work. Yeah, the when you aesthetic- talk about language, do you mean like the style that the dancers were doing? What kind of, yeah, the, the aesthetic you mentioned? Or was it more uh, like the choreography oh, that was being done? All of the above. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. So the choreography, the aesthetic of the dancer, and how we spoke about ourselves. Right. Uh-huh. I mean, that, that's, a, that's a big ship. That's a big Titanic to move, to turn. So what changes and did so, you want to make there? Well, I mean, I came in and, you know, I'm. Can I? is this an honest space or a space that I need to be careful? I mean, it's it's up to you. It's a, <laughs> I think honest. <laughs> honest and safe. But yeah. um, we appreciate honesty. So. Yeah. <laughs> the, the dancers were not at the, at the artistic and technical level that I felt was necessary for the work that I was bringing in. Right. No, that's, I mean, that happens a lot. Yeah. So I had to um, help them. And sometimes they didn't want to be helped. And that would mean that 
we needed to part ways. I mean, this is what happens, right? Again, it's like going back to Michael and I have been there when there's a shift in a director as much as um, you can want. And I'm sure you want it as a director. You don't want to go in and tear everything apart. And, you know, and dancers who've been there for a long time, it's always just puts you in such a difficult position because you have a vision, you have a plan, you're a fresh mind, a fresh voice. And then how do you navigate the changes that you need to make and do it frankly, like humanely, you know, it's, a, right. I'm sure it's a difficult place to be in. Yeah. I think we could have a whole conversation on director transition. Totally. I think that, yeah. I think companies forget that they, that the transition affects everyone yes. and that you need to yes. take everyone on board with you. And so the dancers need their own conversations. Mm-hmm. And I, I, try, I did that at, at Luna. I mean, we were very, when, when it was time to, to move things around, I mean, everyone, all stakeholders need to be part of a transition. It can't be a secret held up on high thing. Um, Yes, or else you'll have people getting hurt. Go ahead. At Luna, this is interesting because now you were leaving Luna of your own free will. You were, you know, planning to go to uh, Ballet Hispanico and you, and of course you wanted, I imagine, the best for the company. So you probably participated in that transition. As we know, sometimes when directors leave, it might not be on their terms, so they don't participate in it. How do you feel right. like you played a part in Luna's transition to try to set that up maybe in a way that right. you wish you could have had? It's hard because I was the boyfriend that was breaking up, right? Right. right. So when you're kind of, um, you know, you're the bad guy. Mm-hmm. In, a, in a lot mm-hmm. of ways to everyone. And so uh, however much you talk, there's always that, but you're leaving me. Right. Um, so I had to be very honest about why I was leaving and that I wanted to, I, I'll be, again, an honest space. I wanted to connect to Luna and Valley Hispanico. I thought that we could play um, a brother or sister role in this because there was a bigger message to bring to our communities about our culture. Mm -hmm. Right. And there was talk early on that we can fuse both companies or at least have a satellite kind of um, situation. Right. But then you have to deal with something called a board of directors. Right. And Luna's board was very jealous and they were like, no. And they shut me out totally. They were like, no, we're going to take care of this. I mean, I can't think of uh, any time that we've had a director on. Well, I mean, an honest director. Balanchine, for instance, famously hated his board. <laughs> yeah. So it's a, you know, boards seem to be necessary evil that we have to work around uh, to achieve the artistic goals that we have. Yeah, but I think it's our, I, I think I was lucky coming into Ballet Hispanico because the transition for me. Yeah the opportunity to be very honest with this board about what I was looking for and what they were getting. Um, And and I remind them, so you brought me in. Let's be clear that I, here, here are my goals Mm -hmm. right now. They're happy. They're like, wow, you, you really hit all. I mean, this is exactly what we wanted. And I said, okay, but there's the future. So here's where we're going now. Um, so it's a, it's a conversation, right? It's a, I hate to say it, but it's a constant, very honest, transparent conversation right. with all stakeholders at yeah. all times. It has to be, right? And and I know like sometimes it can also be 
I think if you don't communicate with the board, again, it's not like I've ever had this position or anything, but just looking from the outside, it seems like if there isn't that conversation with the board to help them understand the artistic side of it, that's when it really gets kind of, because these are all business people, right, that are on the board. They're not looking at it from the artistic place you are. So it's, you're also having to educate them, if you will, and kind of show them the ins and outs and prove your case. And then I and obviously you have if you've made these changes, and they see the results, then they are trusting of you. Right. And for for me, it was much more, there's always one person, I think it was more the board chair at that time at Luna than the whole board. Mm -hmm. So let me be honest about that, because they Mm -hmm. were, they were great people. They still are great people. Right. And they always (laughs) there's always one. (laughs) Well, let's let's shift gears for a second to to get into what uh, you know what's really spurred this interview in the first place. What we're excited about, which is the November twenty second and twenty third shows that Valley Hispanico will be performing at the Apollo Theater in New York City, uh, including a world premiere by uh, podcast Conversations on Dance Favorite and about Lopez Ochoa. So, can you tell us a little bit about this program and uh, specifically how uh, Annabelle's work came to be a part of it? Yeah, well, we this is our second installation of an all Latina program. We started the program three years, almost four years ago. And I mean, we were still touring with it. People really loved it. And Annabelle was part of that. She created a work titled Linea Recta, um, which has flamenco overtones. And it's about the fusion of flamenco and contemporary dance, which is very important to us uh, because Valley Hispanico was founded on a uh, by a flamenco dancer. Tina was a flamenco dancer, mm-hmm. a Spanish. Um, so she did, a, a, it's a beautiful work. So she did that. Then we had Michelle Manzanales, who is a Mexican-American choreographer, who did this beautiful work about identity and not being enough of American and not being enough Mexican. And then I, I asked Tania Perez-Salas, who is a contemporary choreographer in Mexico, um, to do, to to take one of her pieces called uh, Tres Catorce Dieciséis, mm-hmm. um, which, which is the number pi. Um, so, so, so I had two, uh, one work that was reminiscent of the past, one work that spoke about the issues of identity now, and then one work that said, look, I don't even have to talk about my culture. I'm Mexican. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna do that is, has nothing to do with my culture, but everything to do with my artistic vision. Right. Right. Those are three very important things to say when you're a cultural organization. Mm-hmm. Were any of and these so pieces th- in Vail? Because we were so bummed that we missed you guys when you yeah. were in Vail. Oh, yes, they were. Oh, because we heard those. the best things. People were just thrilled. Like everyone was letting us know, you guys missed Bally Hispanico. They were so great. We were very bummed, but mm-hmm. they loved you. <laughs> Hopefully, next year or next time you guys are out there, we'll all have some crossover. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> Really love that. I, you know, I think what this, what you're doing, this podcast, this is great. You know, people need to hear, they see us more than they hear us. <laughs> totally. And people, people will tell us that too, which, you know, I guess is a good thing that they're finding it out, but people will say, I had no idea dancers were so well-spoken. It's like, well, duh, <laughs> but I'm glad that we're able to kind of shine the light on that. I'm sorry. I interrupted you about, um, what's happening next with your next I, program. This, this next, um, uh, edition of uh, All Latina program has uh, has 
Con Brazos Abiertos, which is the Mexican-American dance mixed with um, a work by Andrea Miller called Nasi, mm -hmm. um, which speaks about the interest. I'm very interested in the intersection of diasporas um, in the Hispanic diaspora. And mm -hmm. so she her work is about the Sephardic influence in um, the Spanish world. Yeah, that's so and then, yeah, it's really a beautiful work. Mm -hmm. um, it, you know, she comes from the Ohad Nahrin tradition, so it's very guttural. Um, <laughs> and then it's Annabelle's Tiburones. So you know what Tiburones means, right? It means sharks. Uh, ah. I didn't want to say it. I was like, I have written down here the name of her ballet, but I'm not going to say it because I know I'm going to mispronounce it. <laughs> so I'm just going to lay that there. And so the piece, the piece about the external gaze and how people want to box you into uh, a cultural iconic and how um, this or this this new generation is just rebelling against that. Mm -hmm. And she has she's really. You know, we started with the idea, you know, I'm going to be very, I mean, I, I can be honest. We started with the idea of, you know, taking the West Side Story sharks and just giving a, giving a look at here's, here, here's the reality of the sharks today uh -huh. and their gender fluidity. Um, <laughs> there is um, uh, voguing movements. There is jazzy move. There is Latin movements. We are like become... As immigrants, we fuse and we become something else. We're not, you know, a one choreographer kind of um, or movement kind of gang, let's say. And so we started on that road and um, uh, using some aspects of West Side Story and we got our hands slapped. Uh-oh. Uh <laughs> So it's okay that West Side Story appropriated so much from the Latino community, but because of copyright issues, you can't appropriate your own culture. Mm. Wow, that's insane. Eso. And I hope that comes <laughs> <laughs> So it was a very interesting thing. So we had to, you know, that forced her to look at the work and say, okay, fine. But there's still, the, it, the work stands on its own, and it does. I think that's that's interesting because I feel like there have been several other issues throughout the I mean, cultural appropriation is something that is di being discussed um, at pop culture magazines and outlets a lot more frequently these days. Um, you have something like Ariana Grande is suing, what was it, uh, Forever 21 for using her image and likeness in certain ways. But then you have other people coming out and saying, well, she stole this from someone on RuPaul or, a, a, you know, a black performer or these. So I think that that's really interesting. And that's very, yeah, of it's like, this who did it moment. first? Yeah. <laughs> Come on. Wow. That's yeah. Really and, you know, with all respect, you know, cultural pre uh, appropriation is a tool of white supremacy. Yes. Right. I mean, yeah. you know, I, I talk about this with my husband all the time. Um, and so it is a tool that in the dance world, women have had to deal with for a long time. You know, it is that I'm telling you what to do all the time. I'm manipulating you. I can take from what you have. Mm. Um, and it's, it's a hard thing. It's a hard, it's a hard thing we, we have to do because there are all these structures that are in place 
um, that we forget are there because we move in such a flu such fluidity and we love each other as artists. We don't think, mm -hmm. oh, I'm doing this to you. We just, right. we're working to, we, we know what it is to sweat together in a room, mm -hmm. but yet mm -hmm. these structures really do push into us in ways that we forget. And so when Ariara, Ariana Grande says something like that, she's coming from a very particular place that she does not even realize. Right. Because she's already done the damage before. Mm -hmm. So she, she has no awareness. And so I think that movements that are happening now, like Me Too and Black Lives Matter, and it, it, it's about recognition mm -hmm. um, so that we can move forward. I got, okay, I went in deep. No, I like that. No, oh, that's great. Well, I mean, obviously the context of all these pieces that you're doing are meant to go deep and meant to make you think. So how much, what kind of conversations do you have with these choreographers when you bring them in as to like, you know, what kind of conversation you would like to see happen or do they kind of bring ideas to you? How does that process work? Yeah, we. it usually is that they both. So when a... A choreographer comes, or when I'm interested, I my first question is, so what do you want to say about your own, your culture or your identity? What haven't you said that you really want to say? And then we start talking about how it fits into the Ballet Hispanico canon of work, right? Mm -hmm. And usually they come up and like, oh my gosh. So with Annabelle, I brought her the idea, and I was like, look, I've been dying to do a work about the sharks. And then her, she starts thinking, and then we start having this beautiful conversation, which we're still having today as the piece is in previews. And, right. you know, I love when the choreographer, you know, I think that the role of, of an artistic director is to, is to help. It, there's, there's a little bit of dramaturgy in it. There's a little bit of, of just to say, just let, is this really what you want and how can I support the work? You right. can't just throw a choreographer in a room and say, do what you want, because then you have to be able to turn to your board if it doesn't work hmm. and say, this is why it was important to do. Yeah, you're absolutely right. But that old model of the dance master or the artistic director just, OK, I'm going to choose this one, this one, because this is, you know, they're really trending. And this is the people, the choreographer of du jour. And this one, that 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 is dangerous, right? <clears throat> it needs to say something that's true to the company's personal mission and identity, rather than because the dancers haven't have have helped make that identity in the company, right? Right. So, so true. I love it. So, so when I bring someone in, you know, I have. Yeah, as you can tell, I love to talk, right? <laughs> Same. So I sit with my dancers and say, do you know what you're doing? Do you know why we're doing this? And they ask me, and the interchange, the, the, the ability to have that exchange with dancers, with choreographers and dancers, dancers to choreographers, is essential for this kind of work. Right. It might not be for rubies, but maybe it should be. Mm -hmm. So... For this coming program, uh, for our last question, the, on November 22nd, 23rd, what the, the program you'll be performing at the Apollo, what are you hoping that the audience takes away from, I guess, what the, what the programming is and what the organization stands for? I, I want them always to go, wow, 
um, Ballet Hispanico is leading this dialogue. This is amazing. Right. Uh, I want to come see again. I want to learn more about the diversity and the diaspora of this culture. Um, I want them to be surprised. I want, I, I like when someone says, oh, pero eso no, that wasn't too Latino. <laughs> no, and then ask why. And, and what are your, what, what, what is the structure that's keeping you from thinking beyond um, something that's been handed down to you? So I'm, I'm interested in, in really being, um, uh, really catapulting a, a dialogue about culture and dance. That's great. I I wish I could be there for the shows. Maybe Michael will be able to because I, I, New York. No, I'm hooked. I'm turning up. Yeah. I'll be there. <laughs> Are you coming? Are you both in New York? I'm in New York. I'm in Florida, so I won't be there, unfortunately. But I'm so intrigued and I really hope that I can see Ballet Hispanico in the future because it just sounds like you're doing such wonderful work and we've heard nothing but wonderful things. Oh, thank you. We were in South Miami Dade. I wish I would have known. I would have invited. Oh you. my gosh, when? Aww. We were there last year with this ladies program. Oh Aww. dang. Oh, okay. Well, now I know to look out for it and be sure to yeah. look for oh, you yeah. guys. <laughs> well, thank you so much for your time. Thank we really you so appreciate much. it. Thank you for joining us this week. If you would like to support the Conversations on Dance podcast, there are a few ways that you can help. Click over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. Download episodes when you listen to allow our analytics to better understand our listenership. Join our Facebook group, Conversations on Dance, Friends of the Pod, or you can offer a donation. Conversations on Dance has always been and will always be free to our listeners. You can help us continue to create and produce this unique behind-the-curtain look at the dance world by visiting conversationsondancepod.com support. Thank you for tuning in. See you next week. 